You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello to you all. Attaboy Clarence returns with a song in its heart and a spring in its step. Back, back, back with a bang. Sorry I've been away so long. Many, many projects and things to complete before deadlines arrive. I don't very much enjoy having deadlines. I've decided this. Less deadlines, if you please. So are you all ready for Christmas? Yes? No. No, you're not, because you haven't sent in your Attaboy Clarence Christmas greeting yet. That's right. Whip out your phone right now and record a short happy Christmas to all your fellow listeners and send it in to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com and your sexy voice will be featured on the very next edition of this podcast, The Christmas Special, released on Christmas Day this year, for goodness sake. Some of you have already sent in your greetings, thank you very much, but we always need more over here, so fire them on in. Or... If you don't feel like recording a message, how about throwing an entry into the Christmas pot? Yes, for one week only, go to attaboyclarence.com and throw a question into the Christmas pot. It can be about anything, old movies, this podcast, Christmas itself, or anything else you can think of. And if I can't answer it, then Suki will. Yes, I've been reading Wikipedia. And I think I can answer any question now. Just go to attaboyclarence.com, scroll down the homepage, and there you will find the Christmas pot. So get going. I was saying an interesting thing I was. In the meantime, I want to give a very quick hello and a huge old Canterbury Canterbury. to everyone that came to the BFI screening of Cat People and Curse of the Cat People on the 21st of November. What a turnout. So I'll be honest, I was expecting maybe 10 or so people to come. In my fanciest dreams, I imagined maybe 20. We did a count at one point, and 54 of you turned up. There were so many of you that we colonised the entire outside seating area of the Riverfront Bar on London's South Bank. We had people who travelled from all over the country just to be there, as well as a lady from San Francisco who admittedly hadn't come just for this evening, but who tied in her visit very nicely. And there was also a wonderful lady who travelled from Denmark to be there. She was rather fabulous to spend some time with. There were even fellow podcasters there, Tom from Anywhere But Here. Simone from Classic Hollywood MTC, Daniel from Mutz, and everyone was so nice. You all got on like a house on fire. And let me just say that because there were so many people to chat to and they just kept on turning up, I had to fly from face to face, so I'm sorry if I didn't get the chance to sit down and have a good old chat with you at length. I did my best, but I did feel as though I may have neglected some of you, so my apologies. Mark Gatiss came along too. I couldn't tell anyone he was coming, just in case he had to cancel at the last moment. He arrived with the wonderful James Holmes, who you'll probably know from Miranda and Psychoville. Lovely man, so wonderful of him and Mark to come along. Anyway, thanks again to you all for coming, and thank you so much for travelling the world to be there. I actually did intend to buy ice creams for everyone, but when I actually got into the BFI, they didn't have any. 
Plus, everyone had kind of taken their seats by then, so it was a bit impossible. So I owe you all one. Hey, what's the betting I can get you to sing along with a song? Guaranteed, you'll want to sing along with this one. And if you don't, then it'll lodge itself in your mind all the live long day, so you might as well raise yourselves up and sing the hell out. And yes, you will know the words, I guarantee. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Thank you, Mr. Harry Belafonte. Awesome stuff. Well, let me tell you about a movie then. 1937's Think Fast, Mr. Moto, starring Peter Lorre, Thomas Beck, Virginia Field, and Murray Cannell. 
Mr. Moto, in case you're not aware, is a Japanese detective created by author John P. Marquand and who enjoyed a very successful run in most types of media between the 30s and 50s, including novels, radio, and of course, motion pictures. He's been resurrected many times and in many forms, most recently in 2008, in a graphic novel. He was most famously played by Peter Lorre between 1937 and 1939 in eight films, and I have to say, they are tremendous fun, so do search them out if you're a fan of pulp detective fiction. Think Fast, Mr. Moto was the first time Peter Lorre played the role, and it is my favorite of the bunch. It tells the story of mysterious importer Mr. Moto, played by Peter Lorre, who is on the trail of a murderous syndicate of smugglers who seem to be cooking up a plot surrounding the young heir to a shipping line. Moto attaches himself to the young man, Bob Hitchings, and the two become travel mates on a long cruise as Moto attempts to unravel the mystery along the way. Oh, what are you so noisy about? Come on. Oh, I'm thinking about the proverb of my country. Half the world spends its time laughing at the other half, and both are fools. What you instantly love about this film is how lavish it is, despite being a seemingly lowly detective series filler. 20th Century Fox, who made this, really threw some money at it, so we have exotic locations, resplendent sets, and a gallery of fabulous characters in some very impressive locales. Don't be put off by the fact that it's part of a series. It's very well made and it's very sumptuous. Also, despite the fact that Peter Lorre is Austro-Hungarian, he does a marvelous job as the Japanese Mr. Moto. In one scene at the beginning, he has to disguise himself as an Egyptian street seller, so you're granted the curious privilege of watching an Austro-Hungarian playing a Japanese man disguised as an Egyptian. It's wonderful to behold. My shop is closed for the celebration. Something in your window attracted my attention. A silk hanging, it bears the design of a tiger. That's not for sale. We are not open for business tonight. But perhaps I may sell you something. Observe this hand-woven rock. Excellent bargain. It works, though, because Mr. Moto himself is such an endearing and fascinating character. He is riotously funny in some scenes. He has some fabulously withering put-downs. He's also a man of action and rather ruthless one at that. He has his fair share of fistfights, plus in one scene, he actually murders one of the villains in cold blood. It's pretty callous stuff. Get away. Get away, I tell you. You touch me, and I'll cut your heart out. <laughs> you think you're clever, eh? But I know who you are, Mr. Moto. That is most unfortunate for you. But it adds to the air of Moto's dangerous menace that we glimpse from time to time. It's rather clever, really, as he's a hero, but he's obviously not as angelic as, say, Sherlock Holmes or the Falcon. He has a rather dark side. Saying that, he's also extremely loyal and brave, especially when it comes to young Bob Hitchings, whom he obviously values as a close friend. There's a marvellous scene where Moto, who's befriended the young man, gives him a special concoction to cure his hangover. I'm sorry, sir, but I don't believe that I know how to make a ha hackadotty highball. I'll tell you how to make it. Don't bother, I won't live to drink it. Take that large glass. Yes. First, a measure of lemon juice. Do you have salt? Surely. A pinch of salt. Now, one egg, if you please. Egg. And four dashes of orange bitters. Do you have Worcestershire sauce? <coughs> one jigger. And two teaspoons of sugar. Sugar? Yes. 
Now pour your absinthe. Uh, absinthe? Yes. This is uh, for you. And now? Yes. Fill it up with gin. Gin? Yes, fill it up. Now, what do I do with it? <coughs> That's all. Just stir it. Gently, if you please. You wouldn't like a lily in it, would you? Won't be necessary. No. Drink it, Mr. Bob. Do I have to? It will improve the appearance of the world, I assure you. Drink it, please. <coughs> I think I'm gonna live. That's great stuff, Mr. Moto. Oh, so I'm glad. The mystery itself is very well handled and there are a number of very fine suspense sequences as well as a marvellous supporting cast. It actually feels like an A picture, even though it's quite clearly meant to be a B movie. Trust me, search it out and I guarantee you'll fall in love with Peter Lorre's Mr. Moto. He's a great character and this is a really exceptional little movie that is way more entertaining than you'll expect it to be. Also, it has the greatest address ever in a film. The bad guy lives at number one, Wang Pu Road, Shanghai. Boom. Now you want to watch it, right? Well, before I tell you about another film, it's that time again where I get the honor of declaring a new issue of The Dark Pages to be available. The Dark Pages is the best magazine for film noir fans out there, and this month... It's a bumper edition containing some great stuff, including a contrarian's view of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, which is pulled to pieces and held up for inspection by Claire Schultz, who just cannot get past all of its implausibilities. We also get a retrospective of Fritz Lang's Scarlet Street, as well as Joseph H. Lewis's Gun Crazy. There's even a review of a more modern noir thriller, 1981's Diva. The Dark Pages is a wonderful trip down some very dark streets, so to get yours now, go on over to allthatnoir.com and sign up to get your free sample copy. Best thing is, it's formatted to look like a 1950s newspaper genius. While I'm on the subject of interesting things to read, I must also point you towards a new book that's just been published. If you're a fan of Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce as Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, and let's face it, who isn't? then you'll probably also know that they made hundreds of radio episodes of Sherlock Holmes together. You also might know that a vast quantity of these have been lost to time. Well, thanks to the research and ingenuity of Ian Dickerson, 12 of these lost episodes have been revitalized in script form and published in a book entitled Sherlock Holmes, The Lost Radio Scripts. I get a lot of books to review, and because of my schedule, and especially because of the secret history of Hollywood, I very rarely get time to sit down and read anything except research materials. But the other night at about midnight, I'd just finished writing for the day, and I was at a bit of a loose end, so I opened this book and I began to read, and three hours later, I'd completely devoured the whole thing. This is a fabulous collection of radio scripts that absolutely transport you straight to the old-time radio versions. You can actually hear the voices of Rathbone and Bruce as you read, plus they're all excellent little mysteries in their own right. Such a shame we don't have the audio versions, but this is definitely a stellar substitute. If you're a fan of the Rathbone Holmes series in any way, you need to get this now. It's called Sherlock Holmes, The Lost Radio Scripts by Ian Dickerson. Excellent book. Mr. Simon, bring me a dream. 
bum, 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 bum. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Bum, 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 bum. Give him two lips like roses and clover. Bum, bum, bum. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sunday, I'm so alone. Bum, 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 bum. Don't have nobody to call my own. Bum, 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 bum. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring me a Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him the word that I'm not a rover. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sandman, I'm so alone. Don't have nobody to call my own. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman. Yes. Bring us a dream. Give him a pair of eyes with a come hither gleam. Give him a lonely heart like Polly And lots of wavy hair like Liberace. Mr. Sandman, someone to hold. Someone to hold. Would be so peachy before we're too old. So please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring us. Please, 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 Mr. Sandman. Bring us a And that was the Cordettes with Mr. Sandman. I thank you, ladies. Beautiful little diversion there. On to another movie then, 1936's Thank You, Jeeves, starring Arthur Treacher and David Niven in the roles of Jeeves and Worcester, respectively. I would recommend a quiet, peaceful spot in the country. Ah, the country, yes, Jeeves, but not a quiet, peaceful spot. Jeeves, don't you understand? I need a stimulant. Quite so. Jeeves, there was a bird who knew the great adventure. Undoubtedly, sir. To my ancestor, Sir Bertram. Gallant soldier, great lover, and the soul of chivalry. No doubt, Jeeves, you noticed the family resemblance. Many times, sir. Thank you. I was extremely excited when I heard about this film some years ago. I've read every Jeeves and Worcester book by P.G. Woodhouse. I was a huge fan of the Fry and Laurie TV version of the books. I cannot think of a more pleasurable and hilarious experience with literature in my life than diving into a P.G. Woodhouse story of Jeeves and Worcester. It is one of those rare delights in life that never goes stale. Even now, I dip into them from time to time and always come out a little rosier. So put David Niven in the role of Bertie Worcester and Arthur Treacher in the role of Jeeves and you should have a hard and fast recipe for success. You should have. Except that instead of basing this on an actual Woodhouse story, it was handed to screenwriters Stephen Gross and Joseph Hoffman, along with a very brief explanation of how the characters worked and with instructions to come up with a suitable adventure. Now, it's worth stating at the outset that this had all the potential in the world. And it's also worth stating that I wanted to like this film very much. And let's face it, 
This film was made smack bang in the middle of Woodhouse's glory years, when the characters were at their peak popularity, so it really shouldn't have failed. So why, oh why, didn't they make a movie based on one of Woodhouse's books instead of planting Jeeves and Worcester into a very generic, very creaky sort of second-rate spy thriller? Get out, please. But I just got in. We should go away and not molest us. Yes, that's right, Jeeves. What is the meaning of all this? You mind your own business. Oh, rat. I'll trouble you to be less discourteous. Well, well then, mice. We're from Scotland Yard. Would you mind getting out, please? Scotland Yard? Oh, we thought you were thieves. <laughs> oh, that is funny, Jeeves. Most amusing, sir. I suppose we'd better obey them. Seriously, the formula for this film seems to have been remove the comedy, add in a glamorous female secret agent and a house full of cardboard villains, and have them walk in and out of rooms. So the film itself sees Bertie and Jeeves visited in the middle of the night by a mysterious girl in need of help. She's being pursued by foreign agents who want the plan she's stolen from them. Get your shoes off, because I know they must be wet. Oh, that's so good of you. <laughs> I can't let you get pneumonia, you know. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tickle you. I just wanted to see if your socks weren't wet. So far, so 39 steps. The action then switches to an English country house run by the head of these foreign agents who spends the rest of the film trying to catch the female agent who's being helped by Bertie and Jeeves as they run around the seemingly endless series of cellars underneath the house. The weird thing is this does start out rather promisingly. It opens with Bertie playing a set of drums very badly and Jeeves telling him that he's giving him his notice, which is the classic way that most Woodhouse stories begin. But in the books, there's always some central dilemma or situation that Bertie dives into and it always ends with Jeeves somehow extracting his master from trouble while also improving the lives of everyone in the story and in the process using the most sparkling of dialogue. It also always ends with Jeeves agreeing to stay on if Bertie will give up the drums or the offensive trousers he's been wearing or the checkered suit he'd been so set upon. Basically, everyone lives happily ever after. This story just gets it so wrong. Bertie and Jeeves are almost secondary characters for much of the story, and it ends with an almighty punch-up, which I have to admit is rather fun to watch. But Woodhouse, it ain't. such a shame because the casting of the leads is perfect, even if Arthur Treacher is a bit prone to gurning from time to time. So by all means, if you're a Jeeves and Worcester fan, do give it a whirl, but don't expect to see classic Woodhouse. Expect to see a Hollywood version of Woodhouse, which essentially is what it says on the tin anyway. Bit of a missed opportunity though, old sport. But hold up there. Let's see if radio got it right, shall we? That's right, CBS Forecast, the audition show from which the likes of Suspense and Duffy's Tavern sprang into life, gave radio audiences their first slice of Woodhouse back in 1940, when they ran a pilot show called Leave It to Jeeves, which was to have become a new series for radio and which had the blessing of Woodhouse himself. Sadly, it wasn't turned into a series, but the audition show remains and had the dazzlingly ingenious idea of starring Alan Mowbray as Jeeves and get this, the great Edward Everett Horton as Bertie Wooster. Can you get any more perfect than that? So let's trip on over to Leave It to Jeeves, shall we? What ho! CBS and Hollywood presents, as the sample program in the forecast series, Edward Everett Horton in Leave It to Jeeves with Alan Mowbray, 
Adapted for radio from the comedy masterpieces by P.G. Wodehouse. For admission to the immortal company of great comic characters in the literature of the world, from Falstaff and Sancho Panza through Huckleberry Finn and the Connecticut Yankee to Ferdinand the Bull, we respectively submit the names of Bertie Wooster, Gentleman at Large, and his Gentleman's Gentleman Jeeves. And to create those good companions in the gentle, whimsical Wodehouse manner, we bring to our forecast microphone two superbly well-suited comedians. No better Bertie than Edward Everett Horton could possibly be found, say we. No better Jeeves than Alan Mowbray. The imperturbable Mr. Mowbray has stolen many a movie with his suave skill. His Jeeves, we know, will delight each follower of that remarkable manservant. Mr. Horton, all of you know very well indeed, as well as most of you know Worcester. There's no doubt about it, he's the perfect birdie. Am I right, Mr. Horton? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, of course, certainly, yes. Are you right about what? Oh, never mind. I'm sure that if Mr. P.G. Woodhouse were here, he'd agree. Woodhouse? What was that again? Woodhouse, that's how it's pronounced. You see, I've been making a considerable study of English names and their pronunciation. Why, you've no idea how they spell Chumley. It's C-H-O-L... C-H-A... Mr. Horton. C-H-O-L... Well, as a matter of fact, I've no idea how they spell it. Well, look, Mr. Horton, just for the moment, let's concern ourselves with these simple facts. You are Bertie Worcester, a wealthy young Englishman traveling in America. Alan Mowbray is Jeeves, your faithful valet, and you're... You know, that's odd. I've just been reading a story about those very characters. I have the book here right with me. Uh, Where'd I put it? Where's the book? book, uh, Here, listen, listen, here's how it starts. It was the usual bright and early when I emerged from the deep and dreamless on the third day of my visit to New York. You see, it's written as though Bertie is telling me. I understand that, but look, Mr. Uh, Horton... Wait, wait, now wait. And he continues. Being known to my pals as the athletic Worcester, naturally, my one and only thought was to leap out of bed into my muscle-building exercises. The old one, two, three, four. However, I managed to lie perfectly still until that thought faded. Then I pursued the wiser and the more conservative plan of calling Jeeves. Jeeves! Yes, sir? Good morning, Mr. Worcester. Jeeves, the situation plainly indicates tea. Where is my tea? To say nothing of the cup and saucer and the usual plate of eggs and bee. I beg your pardon, but the young gentleman who slept on the living room settee last night, he took your breakfast tray, sir. Oh, well, that's different. For a moment, Jeeves, just for the moment, I... What's all this about some blighter bounding about with my breakfast tray? He gave me to understand that he was an invited guest, sir. He was wearing a silk hat and part of our second best pair of pajamas. Invited? Why, what a rummy thing, Jeeves. I don't remember inviting anybody. What's he like? He's rather a blonde young gentleman, sir, about 28 or 29. Bingo! I beg your pardon, sir. Has somebody won something? No, Jeeves, what do you mean? I mean our guest is Bingo Little, one of my oldest and dearest. Oh, it all comes back to me now. I met him last night at the stock club, mopping up zombies. Zombies, sir? Mm. It's an American aperitif. It's a sort of a cocktail or something. It makes you forget all your troubles. Really? Well, if I may say so, they haven't made Mr. Little forget his, because he's in a very low mood indeed. Oh, dear. Out of sorts, eh? That would be putting it mildly, sir. Lower than a snake's tail, to coin a phrase? Much lower, sir. Well... Jeeves, if you'll keep Mr. Little from doing anything desperate while I whip into the steaming tub and the spotless linen, I'll be with him. Yes, sir. Climb up on my knees, sonny boy. Oh, no hot water. What is it? Climb up on my knees, sonny boy. Climb up on my knees, sonny boy. Draw your lonely More bacon, Mr. Little? No, thank you. Where's Bertie? Mr. Worcester is in his shower. He will be with you presently, sir. Is there anything I can do? There's nothing anybody can do. 
Unless Bertie can lend me a gun so I can shoot myself. I don't believe that we have a weapon in the place, sir. Just like Bertie. Always unprepared. I don't suppose you'd care to fetch me a sharp blade from the pantry. If you will excuse me, sir, I will see, sir. What ho! Oh, bingo, my boy, my, how well you look this morning. You lie, Wooster. I'm a soul in torment, and you stand there and blither at me. What's to be done? That's what I've got to figure out. What's to be done? Well, I don't know. Why, why not have some more bacon? Oh, you, I see you've had it all. Oh, why, well, some more toast. I'm in trouble, I tell you. Don't you remember anything about last night? Last night? Oh, well, let me see. Are the zombies? No, 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 no. What I told you. The thing I was drinking to forget. Oh, oh, yes, yes. But I've forgotten what we were forgetting. Listen, I'm madly in love with Angela. I've been in love with Angela for years and years. You know that. Right, oh, it's common gossip around the club. Well, a month ago we quarreled. The big explosion. Parted forever and ever. So I barged over here to forget. Oh, oh, the old dawn begins to... You got some sort of a cablegram, didn't you? Yes. Came yesterday. All is forgiven. She's holding out the welcoming arms. Then go, my boy, go. Plow the ocean back to your beloved. But I can't, Bertie. There's a certain matter of... I'll carry, I'll carry through on your unfinished business, so... But don't you remember? I'm engaged to a certain Gloria Latour. Well, that's all right, old man. I'll handle any and every... Engaged? Oh, my word. Oh, Oh, you've got to be careful. Bingo, you've got to be careful. That sort of thing leads to bigamy. (laughs) And from bigamy, it's just a short step into trigonometry. Oh, my word. Bingo, is she the Gloria? Is she the Gloria who sings or dances or something? Right. Oh, But oh, she's not oh. that kind of a girl. Lives a quiet, sheltered life with her mother in a theatrical boarding house. <laughs> Great old girl, the mother. I think she's taken quite a fancy to me. Because everywhere we go, she toddles along. Oh, I'll bet you... I'll bet you three would have had a wonderful honeymoon, too. Yes. But now, Bertie, if I jilt Gloria, I'm afraid she'll kill herself. Oh, not really. Now, has that been her usual custom? Well, not up to now. Then uh, there's the remote possibility of a breach of promise suit. Oh, no. No, no, we can't let that happen. If Gloria sues you for breach of promise, Angela will hear about it, and then she'll sue you for breach of promise, and the first thing you know, you're in a rut. I'm in one already. Oh, buck up, Ringer, my lad, buck up. All is not lost that glitters. Love will find a way. No, it's too late. I've lost Angela forever. Nonsense, Bingo. Have no fear. Bertram and Jeeves will take care of all eventualities on this front. You leap aboard the first boat back to Angela. And I give you the Worcester oath that Miss Gloria Latour will never scuttle your ship of matrimony. Oh, I say, wasn't I kind of neat, huh? Never scuttle your <laughs> ship of matrimony. Bertie! Huh? You're a pal. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye, old boy. Must come home and be my best man. Oh, thank you, thank Goodbye you. Again. Goodbye again. Yes, well, well. Oh, dear. Jeeves. Coming, sir. Climb up on my knees, sonny boy. I beg your pardon, sir. Jeeves, Mr. Little has gone. What I mean, he has left, brimming with happiness. Really? From what he told me while he was eating your breakfast, I thought his problem a rather difficult one, sir. Perhaps, Jeeves, for some type of minds, but we'll take care of it, won't we? Will we, sir? Now, don't tell me, Jeeves, that nothing suggests itself. Nothing, sir. Jeeves, you're not being difficult again about those yellow spats, are you? The man said they brought out my personality. I cannot conceal from you, sir, that the spats are at variance with accepted taste. Eccentricity in dress, sir, Now, is... Jeeves, Jeeves, we'll have no more of this. I am not going to be a... a, a don't tell me. A, a, what's the word? Reactionary, sir. That's it, yes. I like those yellow spats. I purchased those yellow spats, and I'm going to wear those yellow spats, Jeeves, constantly. Yes, sir. Is there anything else? No, there is not. And, Jeeves, much as it pains me, I can't help feeling that you are losing the old grip. Not just about spats, but about everything. Therefore, I think I'll handle this thing myself. A brief call on Miss Gloria Latour, a few words of fatherly wisdom in her shell pink ear, and all will be well. 
Will it, sir? No, it can't fail, Jeeves, because I have an idea. Worcester, the diplomat, that's what they'll be calling me. Open covenants openly arrived at. I'm off now to keep Bingo's date with Miss Latour. Yes, sir, and if I may say so, sir. Yes, Steve? I was only going to suggest that as the young lady lives well uptown, you might stop on your way and leave Mrs. Spencer Gregson's star sapphire ring at Tiffany's. That was one of the errands upon which we came to New York. And Agatha's star sapphire, was it? Oh, yes, yes, of course, the silly prongs. They don't prong or something, isn't it? Will you wrap the bauble up, will you? I've already done so, sir, and here it is. Oh, thank you, Jeeves. I'll drop it off on my way up to Avenue. You know, Jeeves, it's a very delicate affair, prying bingo out of his entanglements. But I shall have no difficulty. Oh, the fighting spirit of the Worcesters. It just beats in the old pulse. Everything is wrapped round with the burlap sacking. You mean in the bag, sir? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. That's what I do mean. Right, right, yes. Yes, sir. Your hat and stick, sir. Where? Oh, oh thank you. Thank you, Jeeves. Pip, pip. I freely admit that the Worcester finesse has at times been widely criticized, but in the case of Gloria Latour, I displayed the subtle craftiness of the wolf. Or was it the lynx? Or the zebra? Well, whatever animal I resembled, I was definitely above the Worcester mental average. When I finally led up to the subject of Bingo's flight, Miss Latour became so brokenhearted, she wanted only to slip off on a shopping tour through Saks, grab a light six-course snack at the Ritz Netherlands, and then slink away to front-row seats to musicals. It was, I believe, pushing close on to midnight when I finally pushed the blighted female into a taxi cab. As we settled back on the plush, I tried to think of something really significant to say, and at last I hit upon a very crafty... Well, Miss Latour? Oh, but don't call me Miss Latour, you dear boy. It's Gloria, after the wonderful day we've had together. <laughs> oh, driver, go through the park. It's father. Is it? Oh. <laughs> well, the longest, the longest way round is the longest way home. <laughs> no, I haven't got that right, have I? <laughs> no, that isn't it. Uh, wait, no, I'll get it in a minute. Does it matter? Look at the lights. Where? Times Square at night. Oh. The busiest, loneliest, unhappiest place in the world. Oh, but really, you're not unhappy, are you? Not after I explained about Bingo, is having to rush off like that and sending me in his place and all that? No, Bertie, you've been so sweet. I'm not unhappy. I'm just... Numb. No, you're not. I've never heard that. I said numb. Thrones oh. almost. Oh. oh, but look here. I told you. I told you now. I told you that Bingo really isn't the right sort of person for you at all. He's a prince of a chap, but what a girl like you needs is a, a... I mean, somebody of a different type entirely. More of a man of the world. Somebody who knows his way around. My birthday. Yes, that's right. You see, besides, there was something Bingo didn't tell you. I hate to mention it, but... Uh, Go on. Uh, well, it's not the sort of thing that a fellow likes to tell about a fellow, especially if the fellow is a fellow's boyhood chum and all that. Whatever in the world are you talking about? Uh, well, it's like this. Bingo Little doesn't like it known, but... Uh, well? Uh, he hasn't an earthly... I mean, it's the matter of the ready, the uh, jolly old needful. You mean money? right -o. Believe it. Why, he's always bought me champagne as if it was ginger ale. Well, that's bingo. That's bingo to the tea, the bon vivant, the life of the party, the ready spender while the last pounds, shillings, and pence held out. But now, they've gone. Really? Mm. Oh, but, but it doesn't I seem... I know, I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Bingo has lived on his borrowings for the past year. Borrowings? Yes, from me, mostly. That's how I know. Oh, he makes a bit from playing the horses now and then, and he has a neat turn of the wrist at cards, but... All in all, good old Bingo has had a very thin time of it. Oh. What are you doing? What's the matter? Oh, my word, you're not going to cry or anything like that, are you? Of course not. Oh. But to think of him going off by himself, all alone. 
Uh, no, no, Gloria, no. He does not need to. Bingo is a self-sufficient chap if there ever was one. Lots of other people need you much more. Why, a girl with your hair and your eyes and stuff, why... Oh, you're just saying that to make me feel better. No, absolutely, absolutely not. No, I'm a bright... Uh... Oh, Bertie, will you do something for me? Anything, anything at all. Will you let me cry on your shoulder just until we get to my door? Why, of course. Why, here it is, yes. No, not there, not there. No, that's... It's too rough. There, there. Now cry away. Never let it be said that a Worcester turned a cold shoulder to the wheel. Or whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Oh, Jeeves. Oh. Oh, I didn't expect you to wait up for me. No trouble at all, sir. Could I get you a cup of coffee? Yes, please, Jeeves. And we do lace it with brandy. Uh, now, on second thoughts, bring me a cup of brandy and lace it with coffee. I've already prepared it, sir. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Jeeves, you see before you a ruined man. Really, sir? I take it then that your plan to free Mr. Little from his involvements with the young lady was unsuccessful. Oh, it was successful enough. It was too successful. I feel like the man who went hunting doves and met a tiger. Really, sir? Uh, Jeeves, I'm not sure, but I think I'm engaged to be married. I said I think I'm engaged to be married. I heard you, sir. The shock was a considerable one. May I offer my congratulations? You may not. And this is no time to stand there nodding and smiling. Something must be done. I understand, sir. Is the young lady in question the same young person who was attached to Mr. Little? Who else? And I was only trying to make her forget Bingo. She started crying, and then she took me upstairs to meet her mother, a gracious little old white-haired lady with a cold and fishy eye. And finally we were left alone again, and one thing led to another, and everything that I said was taken the wrong way. I think I see the gravity of the situation. Miss Latour mistook your sympathy for a stronger emotion. Very aptly put, Jeeves. You caught the young lady on the rebound, so to speak. Did I? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes, exactly. On the rebound, yes. Well, now, what's to be done about it? I fear I have no plan which I could advance with any confidence on the spur of the moment. Well, strain the brain. Quite, sir. Of course, there is always the expedient of a lightning departure for parts unknown. I could pack at once. A flight in the night, you mean? Exactly. Oh, magnificent, Jeeves. Oh, no, we can't go. Why not, sir? This understanding with the young lady, it can't be taken as binding. After all, you have not written her any letters or given her an engagement ring. Correction, Jeeves. I beg your pardon. Oh, my. In the cold gray light of sober second thought, the whole affair seems fairly fantastic to me. But you remember Aunt Agatha's star sapphire ring? The one that you were taking to Tiffany's, sir? I was, but I didn't. I had it with me, and after Miss Latour and I got confidential, she asked me what I had in that little package, and some evil genius persuaded me to show it to her. What does she do but slip it on the right finger of her left hand, and... Well, you explained that it was the property of your aunt, Mrs. Spencer Gregson. I meant to, Jeeves, I meant to, but things were moving a bit too fast for me at the moment. Miss Latour has very large blue eyes, and when she cries... Yes, I quite understand, sir. The situation is even more desperate than I thought. But you will apply the little gray cells, Jeeves? I can trust you to rally round like the stout fellow you are in this my darkest hour of need. I shall endeavor to do my best, sir. Perhaps an idea will come to me during the night. When do you see Miss Latour next, sir? Tomorrow. You see, I asked her to bring her mother here for lunch at one. Here, sir? At one tomorrow? Yes, well, 
That gives you plenty of time to think of something. Jeeves, possibly some undetectable poison deftly inserted in the chicken patty? No. Oh, dear. The usual blunt instrument? Inadvisable, sir. Oh, I was afraid you'd think so. A bit drastic, eh? Not drastic enough, sir. Oh. Oh, well. Well, good night, Jeeves. Good night, sir. And pleasant dreams. Ha, ha, ha. Jeeves, what you just heard is a hollow laugh. The laugh of a lost soul. You know, Jeeves, even if I have nightmares tonight, it'll be a change for the better. As I bunged the fevered brow into the downy pillow, I kept saying to myself, Little man, what now? But I soon realized I was talking to the little man who wasn't there. At least the man who wasn't all there. And what of Jeeves? Why had Jeeves no ready plan? Where was the ancient subterfuge, the deft touch? Was the Worcester at last doomed? As I rolled and tossed, I desperately tried to count sheep leaping over the fence. No, but it was no use. I just kept falling asleep. So I surrendered to the Sandman until I was rudely awakened by somebody shouting. It was I. I calling Jeeves. Jeeves! Yes, sir? It's morning, Jeeves. Hardly, sir. The time is 12.15, Pipema. And you let me wallow here in the deep and dreamless half the day? Jeeves, you know at times you puzzle me. Yes, sir. I thought it best not to call you at the regular hour under the circumstances. Under what, sir? Oh, Jeeves. Oh, my word. In less than an hour, that damsel and her mother are supposed to come barging in for lunch. Oh, dear. Jeeves, have you any ideas? Yes, sir. I have made preparations. A nice filly of soul marguerite and pansies for the centipede. Oh, no, no. I don't care about lunch. And what about me? Are you going to leave me a writhing, shuddering victim on the altar of matrimony? Oh, no matter what slight disagreements you and I may have had in the past over a pair of spats or a necktie, you aren't going to abandon me now, are you? Oh, Jeevesy. I have been giving some thought to the problem. Burning the midnight oil, sir. As the poet Tennyson so aptly puts it, tis better to have loved and to have Another lost... Another time, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Have you a plan? Not exactly, sir, but I have taken certain precautions. While you were asleep this morning, I slipped out and made a few purchases. But time will tell. A ray of hope, then? Most decidedly, sir. And now, if you'll excuse me, I shall see to your wardrobe for today. Shall I lay out the yellow spats again, sir? Of course, the yellow spats. Very well, sir. On second thought, Jeeves. No. No yellow spats today. Oh, thank you, sir. Your bath is ready. Once in the steaming tub, I launched into the traditional climb up on my knee, sonny boy. Climb up on my knees. <clears throat> Climb up on my knee. <clears throat> but it was soon evident that Sonny Boy was not up to the old climb. Kept falling back on his quarter notes. Oh, and this was an evil omen. When the pride of the Worcesters rings false on Sonny Boy in the bath, all is not well. And I knew that all definitely was not well when I entered the dining room a few minutes later and detected a certain ominous note in Jeeves' voice as he said, Do you approve of the table decoration, sir? I took the liberty of ordering a gardenia corsage for each of the ladies. Ah, oh, oh, yes, very thoughtful, Jeeves. Excellent taste, of course. It indicates... Now, oh, listen here, Jeeves, you're not double-crossing me, are you? You're not trying to get me permanently mixed up into this, uh, to this... Uh, I hope uh, to muddle through somehow, sir. 
At the present moment, my plan of operations is too tenuous to discuss. Well, that's just it. How can I rally round if I don't know what Machiavellian plot is in your mind? And perhaps it will be just as well, sir, if the whole thing comes as a surprise to you. I don't see that at all. I do not... Look, Jeeves. Look, is that clock right? Two and one quarter minutes slow, sir. Don't quibble, so. Don't quibble. It's after one now, isn't it? Any minute, they'll be barging in. Yes, sir. It is the zero hour. Jeeves, I... Oh. Oh. Mr. Worcester's apartment, are you there? Oh, yes. Ask the ladies to come up at once, please. Jeeves, I can't face them. I simply can't do it. I... Oh, if I could only dive behind that settee. Perhaps that would be for the best, sir. You mean it, Jeeves? Absolutely, sir. For a time at least, I shall endeavor to cope with the situation alone. May I give you a hand, sir? No, I can move it myself. There. There we are. Comfortable, sir? Moderately, Jeeves. Just moderately. But <laughs> much safer. You barge ahead, Jeeves, and the blessing of the Worcester goes with you. Is this Betty Worcester's apartment? He's expecting us. Oh, please come in, Mrs. Latour. Miss Latour, may I have your wrap, madam? No, thank you. I think I'll keep it on. <laughs> Very well, madam. Will you sit down? May I offer you a cigarette? No, no. Where's Mr. Worcester? Well, Mr. Worcester may be anywhere, miss. He is uncertain in his movements. Uncertain? Just what do you mean by that? Just uncertain, madam. But he was expecting us for luncheon. Oh, yes, miss. He will be with us shortly. It was his wish that you accept these little bouquets as a symbol of his oh, happiness. Look, baby, how thoughtful. Gardenia. Uh -huh. I love the smell. Why? Why, they smell funny, like cloves. Oh, yes, miss. Mr. Worcester always has oil of cloves sprinkled on flowers. <laughs> to counteract the usual scent. Yes, but, but oil of cloves. Oh, why does he do that? Oh, these eccentric millionaires, baby. <laughs> Quite, madam. Sometimes Mr. Worcester's motives are hard to follow. Shall I serve luncheon now? No, wait. Can't you find Mr. Wooster? Haven't you any idea where he might be? Well, now, let me see, miss. He sometimes hides in the broom closet. <laughs> he does? Why? I have no idea, madam. And then, of course, there is always the space back of the settee. A favorite lair of his, I believe. Say, is this a gag? Why should he want to go there? It is one of Mr. Wooster's chief peculiarities, miss. Excuse me while I take a look. Mr. Wooster, come out, come out, wherever you are. Luncheon is served. Oh, really? Mr. Wooster. Oh, hello. Hello, everybody. What, what in the world are you doing back there? Mercy, you're all cobwebby. Do I? I mean, am I? How do you do, Mr. Wooster? Yes, ma'am, yes, yes. And again, no, no, well... Well, the old reunion, what, what, what? Yes. Jeeves, how about a spot of lunch or something? Luncheon is being served, sir. Is it? Where? Oh, oh look, right here. Yes, mm -hmm. do sit down. You sit down there, Mr. Tour, Mrs. Latour. You know, just sit down here. Yeah. I still don't see here. why you had to go playing practical jokes. Baby never liked practical jokes on wise guys. And I find them quite silly. Uh-huh. Well, really? Well, you see, it wasn't exactly a practical joke. I simply felt like taking a bit of a nap behind the settee. I like hiding behind the settee. Oh, but why in the world would well, you... Excuse me, madam... But Mr. Worcester was frightened by an infuriated chicken at the age of three. <laughs> and as a result, he is addicted to somewhat unusual habits. Fish, madam. What? Oh, thank you. Oh, Bertie, darling. Yes? I mean, uh, yes? The ring you gave me, my lovely star sapphire. It has a loose prong. Huh? Oh, has it? <laughs> so I'm going to have to drop it off at Tiffany's on my way home and have it tightened. Oh, a splendid idea. Well, splendid. excuse me, sir, but is it really necessary? Would it not be simpler for the young lady to take another ring from among these? <gasps> 
good oh, heavens, look, look at the rings. Oh, I didn't know the... Oh, that many star sapphire in the world, Mr. Wooster. <laughs> Bertie, <laughs> you must have a sapphire mine. Uh, yes, yes, it's just hundreds, <laughs> uh, at least a dozen. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, by the way, Jeeves, where, where do we get our sapphires? At the five and ten, sir. By the gross. Oh, do we? Oh, yes, of course, that's right. Yes, at the five and ten. Perfect imitation, aren't they, madam? Yes, quite perfect. But Bertie... I... I don't understand. I thought... Yes, I imagine you did. I mean, uh, oh, Jeeves. Yes, sir? Mrs. Latour would like some more of the fish, Jeeves. Coming, sir. No, thank you. I don't care for fish. I don't even care for the smell of fish. Mother. Quiet, baby. Mr. Worcester, this don't look good to me. I want you to strictly understand that if you think... Mother, look! What? Oh, what's that man bringing in? I didn't notice anybody's birthday. A wedding cake, madam, in preview form. Oh, Jeeves. In honor of the glad news. And may I be among the first to congratulate the happy couple? Oh, Jeeves. Well, look. Thank you, Mr. Jeeves, but Would you I... care to cut the cake, miss? Oh, Jeeves. Oh, what, what pretty icing. Uh, thank you, miss. It will make Mr. Worcester's family very happy to have someone else take over the job of caring for him. Caring for him? Yes, madam. But aren't you? I, I mean, what? Well, as I... Mr. Worcester's companion, I might almost say his keeper, miss. I must say that I look forward to laying aside the burden. Now, listen, Jeeves, this is a bit... I mean to say, you can't go about saying... There's been plenty said already. Well, if you'll excuse me, there's another matter. Miss Latour, when the plans for the honeymoon cottage are drawn, it is advisable that one room be set aside for Mr. Worcester's personal use. For... for his personal use? Yes, miss, and the walls must be heavily P-A-D-D-E-D. What? P-A-D-D-E-D, miss. We always spell out words of that nature to save Mr. Worcester's feelings. I would suggest covering the wall with a nice red morocco. Mother, did you hear that? A pad itself! Jeez. I mean, jeez. Are you uh, going yes, to... Yes, tell... sir. Yes, sir. I was just about to tell the young lady there's nothing to worry about except at the full of the moon. At all other times, he is very amiable and easily controlled, aren't you, sir? Oh, thank you, Jeeves. <clears throat> thank you. What? Uh, quite so, sir. <laughs> And now, if you'll excuse me, I think I hear someone at the back door. I fancy it's the tailor's man. What? What tailor's man? With your new straight jacket, sir. <laughs> For a fitting. I'll bring it in. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going to leave baby and me here alone with this, this lunatic. Mother, hadn't we better... Yes, you bet your life we'd better. Come on, baby, let's get out of here alive. That's all I ask. All right, I'm coming. Here, Mr. Wooster, you can take your O-ring back to the five and ten. And maybe they'll exchange it for a toy flute or something. Goodbye. Well, jeez. Well, sir? What a time, eh? If you know what I mean. I mean, uh, what a time. Exactly, sir. It would appear that the engagement is broken, sir. And one of your best efforts, Jeeves. For a moment or two, you, you had me worried. I thought you were trying to further the nuptials. Oh, just a smokescreen, sir. Certain people are constituted that they are suspicious of anything that you urge upon them. Spoken like the philosopher you are, Jeeves. Uh, by the way... That knock that you thought you heard at the back door, that, uh, that wasn't really... A uh, substitute, mean... sir. There was, of course, no question of a real straitjacket. Oh, glad to hear it. <laughs> <clears throat> Will that be all, sir? I thought I might take Mrs. Gregson's ring up to Tiffany's for the necessary repair work to make sure that no further misadventure occurs. I would appreciate it. And, gee, what is it, sir? You may take those yellow spats of mine and drop them into an ash can on your way up the street. Oh, thank you, sir. You make me very happy. And that was the wonderful Edward Everett Horton and Alan Mowbray. 
and leave it to Jeeves. Masterful. Well, before I go, it would be remiss of me not to mention an unfortunate development that took place in the last few days. As you are well aware, I have a Patreon. And many of you very kind people have signed up to pledge to it, and your pledges have enabled me to carry on making podcasts. They have also allowed me to make special bonus content for you patrons only, including an entire 15-part Secret History of Hollywood series that I released only last week to patrons. That's right, if you're signed up, then you are now in possession of an exclusive Secret History of Hollywood series not available on the podcast feed. This joyous occasion was marred somewhat by the fact that Patreon have now decided to change the way they work slightly. Whereas before I was paying a fee to have a Patreon account, which took a small percentage out of my earnings there, Patreon, in their wisdom, have now decided that the fee should be paid by my patrons and not by me so that I'll have more money with which to create. Very noble of you, Patreon, except that none of us got a choice in the matter. I want to say right now that I'm very happy to pay my own fees. And while the extra fees will only amount to a few cents for patrons, I'm still not happy about the fact that my patrons are paying my fees and not me. And so I've created a new set of reward tiers over at my Patreon page, all at a lower cost than before, to cover this extra fee. For example, some of you are signed up to the 4.99 reward tier, which gets you bonus episodes. Well, running alongside that tier now is a $4.47 tier, which means that when the fee is added on, you'll be paying 4.99 as before. So if you're signed up already and this new fee system is bothering you, then please feel free to adjust your pledge to these lower tiers. And if you haven't signed up already and you were thinking about doing so, take a look at these new pledge amounts, please. Unfortunately for now, there is no half-decent Patreon alternative that allows me to deliver bonus content so effectively to people. But as soon as there is, I will be considering a move. You people are my utmost priority, I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I'm happy to pay my own fees, so hopefully this won't stop you from signing up. It's very sad, really, because my Patreon was really on a roll. People were signing up every day, and I was so close to being able to make this my full-time job. Growth literally stopped dead (laughs) the day this happened. So while I'm sure Patreon had good intentions, they've literally stopped my dreams in their tracks. Very clumsy. However, I hope that you'll consider seeing past their mistake and still consider supporting these shows. And if you'd like to do that, then listen on to the end of this episode. For now, though, I thank you very much for joining me today. A bonus patron show will be with you in the next few days. And don't forget to record your Christmas greetings and get those in for the upcoming Christmas show. Or throw a question into the Christmas pot. Until then, have a very merry December. Best of luck with all of your shopping, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, 
but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.